Good afternoon. So good to see many of you today. If you have your Bibles, uh, please get ready to the scripture reading passage that we were just on, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Over the past few years, American evangelicals, Bible-believing Christians, have been forced to face a reckoning, whether by extreme polarization of politics or struggles regarding race and all its conflicts and misunderstandings, divided by the wide spectrum of views from Christian nationalism to wokeism, whether by the vastly militant, secularist, progressive LGBTQIA worldview dominating this nation's media and laws impacting churches and families, as well as the ongoing pandemic and all its related issue, masks, vaccines, to gather or not to gather, to live stream or not stream. The American church has been tested and shaken like never before to discern the very identity of what it is and who it is made of. One sociology professor comments, the division and conflicts we find are intense, easily more intense than I have seen in my 25 years of studying the topic. The aggressive, disruptive, and unforgiving mindset that characterizes so much of our politics has found a home in many American churches, close quote. And with studies that continue to headline, one-third of Americans stopped attending church following the pandemic, or church attendance dropped among young people, singles, and liberals, or pastors battle skyrocketing burnout amid politics and pandemic, calling it the great resignation of pastors. Some may wonder if there is a future then for church. We're continuing our series, Rediscovered Church, guided by the book of the same title by Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman. And we're studying through each chapter of the book in our three-part topical sermon series to consider what and who the Bible says the church is. The aim of this series and the aim of this book is for us to rediscover church. Perhaps many of us have never thought so much about the church uh, as we have during the pandemic, when we were prevented from gathering together, when our constitutional freedoms to be able to assemble together were being threatened by the government mandates when the antithetical worldview of the secular society pitted us against our biblical convictions? How were we to adhere to the earthly authorities as God-honoring, law-abiding citizens? Yet at the same time, how were we to weigh issues of Christian freedom and issues of conscience wisely and faithfully? We had to determine what exactly are gospel issues, what exactly are the essentials and the non-essentials. There were so many things that we had to wrestle through these past few years, weren't there? Well, praise the Lord. We persevered. You persevered by God's grace, and you are still here. Amen? And many of you decided and committed to join a new and young church in the midst of it. Common sense would ask why. But your faith and your trust in God determined what was essential and necessary, the gospel of Jesus Christ. A local church that aims to do things the biblical way. Not a perfect church by any means but a church that aims to be a healthy church, a gospel-centered church, a word-centered church, a group of born-again believers who love Jesus and love one another, committing together to gather together Sunday after Sunday, worshiping and trusting our good and faithful God together, praying for each other, discipling one another, speaking truth to one another in love, keeping each other accountable, sharing the good news to one another and those who do not know Christ. That's why we're here, isn't it? Amen? As the authors of this book emphasize, you realized that a Christian without a church is a Christian in trouble, didn't you? 
By God's grace, you understood that virtual church in principle is an oxymoron, that such innovative ideas of the church will never be a substitute, haven't you? Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So gathering together through wars and famines and pandemics and economic depressions and recessions through the spiritual ebbs and flows of church history have been what Christians have been doing Sunday after Sunday after Sunday for over 2,000 years since Jesus rose up from the grave. And so we won't stop, will we? And we won't quit, will we? Yet we must be very careful. We must be very prayerful. We must be very intentional that we may not fall prey to what is comfortable, that we may not default to what is practical, that we may not compromise our convictions to practices that are unhealthy and unbiblical. It's easy when everything around us is so extremely divided for us to envelope ourselves amongst people who are just like us or very similar to us and become a gathering of people not what the Bible intends us to be. In fact, churches have been using the homogeneous unit principles to achieve growth for decades. It's the principle that holds it is easier for people to gather together when they have to cross very few or no racial, linguistic, or class barriers. The simple fact of the matter is people like to be around people like themselves. They feel comfortable in familiar, predictable situations and patterns. And so the quickest and the easiest, most efficient way to build churches is to identify a segment of the population that shares a set of interests and cater to them in how you teach and sing and foster friendship. This isn't a new trend, friends. It's been assumed and practiced in much of church history. But again, search the Scriptures. Learn about God's redemption plan in the pages of the Bible. Read about God's future eternal congregation of the redeemed. It is composed of men and women from every nation, from all tribes and people, and languages. Hallelujah. The church, in the words of Colin Hansen, is a fellowship of difference. A fellowship of difference. The local congregation is where Jesus teaches us to love all kinds of people, even our enemies. One tribe to another, one race and another, one nation and another, one political view and another, one generation and another, revealing the gospel of Jesus Christ through a unified diversity of people. Amen? If this is what the church is supposed to be in this divided world, the question we have before us today is, how do I love members who are different? Next week, we'll be talking about loving outsiders, so keep that in mind. In the scope of our topic today, how do I love members who are different? Well, from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, I want to share with you three principles of how the church can be a fellowship of difference. So again, in answering the question, how can our local church be a community unified in diversity? I want to answer the question in these ways. Three points. Here's the outline so you know what's ahead. Point number one, and I use these points very often so it may sound familiar to you. Point number one, unity is God's goal for the local church from verses one through six. Unity is God's goal for the local church. Point number two, diversity is God's gift to the local church, verses seven through 12. Diversity is God's gift to the local church. And point number three, discipleship is God's plan for church growth from 13 through 16. Unity, diversity, discipleship. Brothers and sisters, as we forge ahead into the new year to 2023, 
I pray we would remember the truths of who we are as Christ's church, that we would more deeply rely on His promises to us as His bride and His body. If you are here and you are not a Christian or are not sure that you are, welcome. We're so very glad that you are here today. We've been praying for you. We know that you are not here by accident, that God has a purpose for you today. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. So we pray that you would hear the words of Christ, hear His invitation this afternoon, and that faith in Christ will be formed in you. We pray that you would see Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the ultimate proof of God's love for us. Since our sister Min already read for us our passage, let me just dive into giving you some context since we are diving in into the middle of Ephesians. Uh, In chapter 1 to 3 of Ephesians, Paul expounds the glorious doctrine of salvation. In chapter 1, Paul praises God for the spiritual blessings we have in Him, how God predestined us for adoption, how God redeemed us through His blood according to the riches of His grace, how in Christ we have obtained a guaranteed inheritance our salvation to the praise of God's glory. But in chapter 2, Paul reminds us of our spiritual state before Christ reconciled us to God at the cross that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but that we were saved by grace through faith that it is not our own doing, but the gift of God. This reminder was necessary because what we're about to hear from Paul regarding our new spiritual mission may have been quite shocking for the people at the time that salvation wasn't just for the Jews. What Christ had accomplished on the cross was to break down the wall of hostility, creating in himself one new man in place of two Jews and Gentiles, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body, coming together, becoming one family, the church, being built together into a dwelling place for God. Well, what was the reason? That's chapter 3, to bring to light this mystery of the gospel through the church, a people of a new covenant community which was the eternal purpose of God, that people of all nations would come to know God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul then turns to the practical applications in chapters 4 through 6 with instructions on how to live out these glorious doctrines. So how do I love members who are different? Point number one, remember that unity is God's goal for the local church according to verses 1 through 6. Those verses, verses 1 through 6, reminds us that as God's people, unity is what defines us as God's people. So look with me to those verses again, 1 through 6, which says this, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. As such, unity is God's goal for the local church because Christian unity proclaims to the world the power of the gospel. Somebody say power. According to Ephesians 3 through 6, the mystery hidden for ages is that Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Well, who are the Gentiles? It's you. It's me. How did you and I, how did you and I become partakers of this sacred story? How did you and I become co-heirs of this prestigious family? How did you and I qualify to become members of this local and eternal congregation of Jesus Christ? Did we do something? 
Did we do anything? No, it's because we have been united to Christ. We are one with Christ, reconciled to God. So now, Paul says in verse 1, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Well, what is the calling to which you have been called? We are the children of God. We are the people of God. We are the church of God. That is our common calling. And as His people, Christians are called to unity. Unity is our calling. Walking in a manner worthy of the calling is walking in unity. That's why we are together for the gospel, united by the gospel, for the gospel. Notice in verse 2, the common character of God's people called in unity. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. You see, in this family, there's no room here for pride or prejudice and division in the family of God. Unity is the Christian responsibility. Just consider some of the one another commandments in Scripture on how Christians should act towards one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Forgive one another. Love one another. Serve one another. Pray for one another. The list goes on and on and on. John 13, 25 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. After all, the unity that is our calling, unity's common characteristics are not from us, are not from within. It's from Christ. We don't make unity. We can't conjure up unity. That's why verse 3 says, Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It says, be eager to maintain the unity because it's already there. It's already given to us. Amen? That's why verses 4 through 5 explains our common testimony. Look at verse 4 through 5. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. You see, every single one of us who are members of the New Covenant Baptist Church can testify we are one body and one spirit, and one hope. We worship one Lord. We declare one faith and one baptism. His death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. Hallelujah. Amen? Christian unity proclaims to the world the power of the gospel because apart from Christ, this unity is simply impossible. But in Luke 18, 27, remember what it says? What is impossible with man is possible with God. That's why unity is God's goal for the local church because Christian unity communicates to the world who God is, who our God is. Look at verse 6. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This is our common theology. The unity that is displayed and reflected in the church is only possible because God in Himself is Trinity. The ultimate unity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Together, all three distinct persons of the Trinity accomplish His eternal purpose for the church. Now, this may sound obvious, or perhaps to some of you sound confusing, but what I'm trying to say is, who God is in His nature has everything to do with who we are, how we live our lives, how we cooperate as His body, the church. You see, the misunderstanding of this foundational doctrine of the Trinity is the reason why there are so many 
countless religious cults around the world. You get the wrong father and you get the wrong family. Simple as that. If you don't have the Trinity, you don't have unity. This is the reason why the world's understanding and claim for unity is idealistic, temporary, unattainable, and wrong. Just think of communism or universalism or ecumenism. It's all man's efforts to unite things that cannot be ultimately united. If you're here this afternoon and you are not a Christian, I wonder if you ever felt like you are far from God or felt like God was perhaps far from you. Or maybe you've sat in a room full of people and you felt like you don't really belong anywhere. You felt empty and void and lost. You're tired from all the division and conflict that's constantly surrounding us. Perhaps because of it, you are feeling hopeless and you don't know what to do. Well, the truth of the matter is this, brothers and sisters and friends. The Bible says, apart from Christ, we are. You are, in fact, all alone. You feel it because that is the reality of who we are, separated from God and separated from one another. You see, when we are separated from the most important relationship that unifies us all and holds us together, holds all things together, Christ, the one unifier, the Bible says you are, in fact, completely cut off. You have no union with God. You have no true fellowship with Him and His people. You have no shared blessing, no promise of hope whatsoever. You have no place to stand except before the judgment of God. You see, before a holy and righteous God, no one is worthy, not even one. No one is entitled to anything, life, health, prosperity, peace, joy, deserve nothing of it. The Bible says we are all sinners. No one is righteous, not even one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Reason for that is because of our willing and conscious and continuous rebellion toward God. We rightly deserved just punishment, the consequences of our sins, pain and death, eternal judgment and hell. That is simply the reality of living in this fallen, broken world. But friends, here's the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, the best news you will ever hear, the news that you need today and tomorrow and the next day, the news that will never grow old. That God, in His mercy, had a plan from the very beginning to redeem a people and to forgive us of our sins. By sending His own Son, Jesus Christ, who is truly God and truly man, to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we should have died, He took our place as a substitute on the cross, and He paid the debt that we would have paid in eternal hell. But you guys know that Jesus did not remain dead. On the third day, Jesus Christ rose again from death, which meant that God accepted His sacrifice, which meant that Christ defeated sin, Satan, and death forever. And whoever would repent and believe in him will not die and go to hell, but participate in his resurrection and live the abundant life here on earth and forevermore. Join together with all who call on his name as a Lord and Savior, as one new people. Brothers and sisters, friends and visitors, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. So friend, if you are here and you are not a Christian or are not sure that you are and you need true hope that will not fail, that will not disappoint and you long to belong in the family of the forgiven, you want to be a part of God's redeemed eternal congregation, here is your invitation. Repent of your sins this afternoon. Confess of your need of Jesus this very moment. Do not delay. Do not hesitate. Believe that Jesus died and rose again for you to give you new and eternal life right now. Trust Him and accept Him as your Lord and Savior today. If you want to talk to someone about how you can know and follow Jesus, Please talk to any of the pastors at the close of service at the doors or someone smiling next to you. I'm telling you, we've been praying for you. 
We've been praying for you. Talk to someone today. Do not leave this place without finding more about how you can follow Jesus for the rest of your life. Brothers and sisters, when Christians are united by a common calling, common character, common testimony, and common theology, writer Hansen says, no pandemic, no election, no viral video can threaten this kind of unity. Hallelujah. When controversy hits, this church community draws closer together in love and empathy and trust. As such, when unity is our goal, there are several important implications for us corporately. Verse 3, again, is a good examination for any church to see if unity is indeed what we are pursuing. Verse 3, again, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So my question to each of us as a new covenant community, as individuals, are you eager, are you eager, are you eager to maintain this unity? If so, how do you do it practically? Are you maintaining unity by your humility, by your gentleness, by your patience, by your love? Ask yourself seriously because it does not happen naturally. It says be eager to do it. Sure, you can have different opinions. You can have different comfort levels. You can have different personalities, extroverted, introverted. You can be on different spiritual maturity levels. We get that. You can even have different views on politics. You can also think that things were done differently in this church. But do you regularly lay down your preferences to be eager to maintain the unity of the church? By the way, you serve sacrificially. By the way, you love others, considering others more important than you. By the way, you simply show up consistently. Or are you entitled, thinking that others should bend to your knees and your desires, trying to get out as a consumer what you can get out from this church, whether that's something simple as fellowship? Do you think that you deserve some sort of special treatment? Sure, you may not think of this outwardly or say it outwardly, but inwardly, perhaps you show it and you think about it in the way that you are not generous, in the way that you are selfish, in the way you are not thankful, in the way you are always in the periphery. Why do I mention entitlement? Because selfishness kills unity. Selfishness kills unity. In fact, a clear evidence of Christian maturity is someone who is growing in service to others, to build up others. We're going to talk more about it in point three. But understand and remember, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, according to Matthew 20, 28. So again, do you humbly serve and submit to your leaders and one another as commanded by Scripture? How do you do that? Do you pray for me and the elders and your fellow church members regularly? Do you really pray as we pray for you? Do you gently prevent discontent members from sowing seeds of division or gossiping by rebuking them with love and truth when necessary? Do you do that? Luke 6.32 says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you desire NCBC to be a church that reflects the power of the gospel and to testify of who God is in this divided nation, one of the easiest steps we can take in our own congregation is to love those who are different from you, to be one with those whom God has brought together through this local congregation. How do you do it intentionally? Christ is the reason we can truly be one. Unity is God's goal for the local church. Be eager to maintain it in 2023. Let's do it together. Amen? Point number one. Point number two. If you desire to love members who are different, remember diversity is God's gift to the local church. Diversity is God's gift to the local church from verses 7 through 12. Look at those verses again, 7 through 10. It says this. 
But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he has also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. As you know, diversity is a trendy word nowadays, multi-ethnicity, multicultural, multiracial, multigenerational, all that can be one of those uh, trendy words. Yet, we pursue diversity because diversity strengthens unity. Remember this, diversity is a gift. That's why verse 7 says, but grace was given to each one of us. Grace, according to the Bible, is receiving what we do not deserve. So remember and discern, diversity is not the goal. Get it clearly, diversity is not the goal. Unity is the goal. Unity is the end. Diversity is a gift that God has given us. Diversity in the worldly sense, to accept everyone, to be tolerant of everyone, diversity for diversity's sake, diversity just to be diverse, diversity to reach some sort of quota, leads to a certain kind of diversity that is entirely different from God's vision and what the Bible pictures for us without Christ as the central unifier. When our society talks about diversity, it's almost like you can be from a different ethnicity, but you cannot disagree on its sexual ethics. You can be proud to come from another country, but you can't support the wrong political party. You can be celebrated for your gender, but not for insisting on biological differences between the genders. The secular society has a very specific kind of diversity in mind, and ironically, if you don't fit in, you'll be canceled. If your diversity doesn't fit the media's narrative and agenda, you will be labeled as a bigot, backward, and intolerant. But again, Scripture teaches us unity is our end goal. Reconciliation of sinful man to God, oneness with God, which overflows into reconciliation between man and fellow man, that is our goal. That is our end. Well, Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And at a great cost, Jesus descended and ascended, incarnation and resurrection and ascension in order to diversely gift each one of us that he might fill all things, according to our verses. The image is that of an army winning a war, bringing back the spoils of war back to their countrymen. So Jesus, in a sense, won the ultimate battle. He gave the plenteous loot to the church, except the gifts that he distributes has a purpose and not for just our gain. No, it's not like that at all. See, although our atonement from sin was complete in Christ's death and resurrection, God gave the church the gifts. And you'll notice that in this passage, that the gifts that Paul refers to are people, not talents, not things. That's why verse 11 through 12 says, And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, and the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. This is why, again, diversity is God's gift to the local church because diversely gifted men and women builds up the body in the local church and ultimately the church universal. When we understand diversity as God's gift to the church, you can move from simply receiving and consuming in the body uh, from being insular, self-focused, and complacent in our comfort zones to now edifying the church by sharing your life and pouring your life out as Christ did for others. The reason why God has brought you to this church, to New Covenant Baptist Church, is in order that you, in your uniqueness, with your unique gifts, can build up the church towards that unity. 
when we begin to see God's good gifts of diversity as people, not talents, when we value diversity as God's gift to the local church, you cherish every individual member as God's image bearer and gifts. You care less about meeting the quota. You care more about the relationship and the blessing and the edification that having diverse relationships and representation brings to the church. And the powerful testimony that a diverse church united in Christ testifies to the world. Hence, again, pursuing diversity is the Christian responsibility, not only because it strengthens unity, but because it also helps us to obey the Great Commission, which we are all called to do. Remember, Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. This has always been God's eternal plan from the very beginning. In our part of the world, brothers and sisters, Montgomery County, one of the most diverse areas of the country, in your schools, in your workplaces, you don't have to leave the country to meet the nations. No, the nations are right here in our neighborhoods, in our backyards. So again, what are the implications in pursuing diversity as a church? In light of all that's going on in our society regarding racial injustice and racial reconciliation, as churches have become even more divided and segregated, particularly by issues of politics and race, are you individually aware of the cultural conversations on these issues and how Christians should rightly, biblically think and act regarding diversity and justice? Do you understand that the natural default of our sinful flesh is not to mix cross-culturally, not to engage with those different than us? I'm not saying you can't be comfortable about what you are comfortable in. Certainly there are times and places where appreciating one's culture is appropriate. But again, the question for us is, what are you doing intentionally as a Christian to pursue diversity in order to further God's goal of unity in Christ? How does your relationships proclaim to those around you the love of Christ in us is different and better than that of the world? Kevin Jones, the author of Removing the Stains of Racism, writes, diversity is not an accident or a problem. It is a sign of God's providence and promise. If the church gets this wrong, it's not getting race and ethnic differences wrong, it's getting the gospel wrong. We cannot obey the Great Commission without celebrating the glory of the new humanity only Christ can create. Diversity as God's gift to the church means not denying, rejecting, ignoring, looking down on, overly being critical, or typecasting one's own culture and preference or privilege over another's heritage. You can't champion the Great Commission if you don't advocate the cause of other minorities as significant or even more significant than yours. Can I say this? All are welcome to the family of God. All are welcome to the family of God. We just cannot remain the same as we are, you see. We have to increasingly grow more in holiness, more in Christ-likeness. We're going to talk more about that in point three. But brothers and sisters, I just want to emphasize we can't ignore or undermine this issue at this time in this county. We can't ignore or, or naively think, let's just go on preaching the gospel and not pray and not work hard at this. We need to live this out intentionally as a congregation and as individuals. Yes, I believe out of all of you, with you, that the gospel is the power unto salvation. That gospel is our priority. We will preach the gospel. We will preach Him, Christ crucified, to the end of our days, till Jesus returns. Nothing needs to be added to the gospel. As a gospel-preaching church, this is the only message we will proclaim faithfully, sacrificially, no matter what. But 
to make disciples of all nations is our great mandate. Not to make disciples just like us, which so many churches actually do. Make disciples of all nations. That's why the Great Commission starts with go make disciples, not stay and make disciples. Go and make disciples. We have to go to places and areas where it is not normally easy and natural for us. Go and make disciples. As a church, we must understand and pursue diversity actively and faithfully. In order to do so, we must see the issue of racial reconciliation not only as an American historical issue, not only as a cultural issue, but as a kingdom issue. The spectrum of our fight for racial justice should not merely be black and white or just Asian or just Hispanic or just black or just white as if only one group is racist or as if only one group has all the issues. God's vision for diversity is Revelation 5 and 7. Every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages. We live in a fallen, broken world. Sin goes deep. Hate goes way back to Genesis 3. The gospel is the only remedy. Let's be a community that truly understands its power. Let's be a community that truly understands the gospel's power. Amen? So, are you passionate about kingdom diversity? Are you passionate about kingdom diversity? If not, why not? How does Scripture inform us? How can we show God's love to those who are different, disagreeable, and uneasy to love? And how can we lead them to Christ? How, we, how can we point them to Christ? If we do not do it intentionally, if we do not embrace diversity as God's gift to build up the local church, if we grow weary or passive about eagerly maintaining the unity as a fellowship of difference, I'm afraid we will rightly be judged by the watching world as bigots and hypocrites and backward. So how can we do this better together as a local church? Let me share some applications. Pray regularly and publicly for God's, God to gift this church with diversity, working toward unity. As members of this church, don't be colorblind. Be color conscious. Talk, engage, and work proactively about diversity across ethnic, generational, and socioeconomic lines. As members of NCBC, be hospitable. Hospitality is a great way to get to know others personally. Examine yourselves, even as members of this church. Do you only hang out with people who are similar to you? Are you only in discipling relationships with people who are your peers? Good way to examine your heart. Members should be encouraged to disciple, meet with, have lunch with, have coffee with people who are different, even if you don't have natural or initial similarities. Why? Because we're all united by something that is more important than our skin color or our age or our education or socioeconomic status. We are united by Christ. Amen? We have often more commonalities with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ than oftentimes with our own blood relatives who do not share the same testimony. So let's be intentional even in the way we organize our services. Even as we are a majority-minority church, let's pray for a growing diversity in ethnicity, age, socioeconomic status to represent this county and ultimately God's kingdom as a gospel-revealing, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church for God's glory, for our unity, for our testimony. To the world. Man, I believe it with all my heart, brothers and sisters, friends and visitors, that we have such a unique opportunity and a gift here at NCBC from God in this community. So again, how do we love members who are different? We need to understand this vision won't be accomplished overnight. It won't happen naturally. It won't happen without us working together prayerfully in the Spirit of God and the power of God. So point number three, much shorter point. Remember, discipleship 
is God's plan for church growth. Discipleship is God's plan for church growth. It will not happen automatically. It will not happen naturally. It will happen through making disciples. God's plan for church growth. Again, unity is God's goal for the church. Diversity is God's gift to the church in order that we can ultimately grow into maturity to be more like Christ. Hence, our responsibility in walking in a manner worthy of our calling is discipleship. Sub-point number one, for the unity of faith. For the unity of faith. Look at verse 13, which says this, Until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. See, again, it all comes back to unity. Unity of one faith in the knowledge of the Son of God. That people of all backgrounds and race and generations will once again understand that we are of one Creator created in His image to glorify Him. In addition, discipling one another is important for our growth, for our maturity and our discernment. Look at the end of verse 13 and verse 14. It says, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Brothers and sisters, so that more people, those who are elect of God, can grow into maturity to make disciples, to advance God's kingdom, so that amidst all the growing tensions and uncertainties and anxieties and divisions within our society and this world, we won't be tossed to and fro by any and every wind of doctrine, by every and any trends and social movements, or by the cultural or political climate. Scripture says there is nothing new under the sun, you see. As Christians, we've always had one goal, to grow more in the likeness of the Son into the fullness of Christ. Furthermore, We need to help one another grow more in our dependence of Him. Look at verse 15 and 16, which says this. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Brothers and sisters, we disciple, we are committed to this so that we could grow into Him and into one another. This is the picture of God Himself, His Trinitarian nature. More dependence on God, more dependence on one another to accomplish kingdom purposes together. The Christian life is not a solo man's journey. Christianity is personal, but it's never private. And again, that is why at New Covenant Baptist Church, we emphasize church membership so much. Be committed to this body. Be committed to grow with me if you are a born-again believer of Christ. Help each other help one another to grow more like Christ. We have to depend on one another if we're going to make it to the end. The local church is God's instrument for persevering us in faith. So should you ever leave this place, please don't let us track you down. What, where are you moving to again? What church are you joining? Please help the elders by first looking for a good, healthy church to join and let us know that you have joined. Amen? Let's prioritize one another through the local church. Brothers and sisters, how blessed are we in the church body as a body of believers that we have been gifted with men and women who can disciple us toward maturity? Just think about the advantage of diversity, the diversity of men and women God has gifted the local church, even this church. How much more we get to experience the fullness of God through the wonderful brothers and sisters of this very congregation. Discipleship of people of diverse experiences and wisdom and different gold nuggets they get from Scripture and reading and prayer to encourage us along the way. 
right? And we haven't just loosely committed. No, we have covenanted together for this very cause. Brothers and sisters, there are so many ways to grow a church. Program-driven, purpose-driven metrics, business models, attraction models, seeker-friendly models. But all those movements have come and gone. But disciple-making, making disciples, discipleship is God's plan, God's only plan for church growth. It's Jesus' final command until He returns. Go, therefore, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I'll be with you even to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, join me that we would pray that members of New Covenant Baptist Church will continue to intentionally disciple one another toward maturity. Ask yourself this afternoon, are you involved in regular discipling relationships? If not, why not? Why are you so resistant to God's means for your spiritual growth? Is it busyness? Is it your job? Is it your lack of prioritization? Is it your lack of desire? Pray that a culture of discipling at NCBC will continue to grow and flourish in your life and in the life of the church. Read and memorize scripture with one another. Pray with someone regularly. Check in on fellow members intentionally. Amen? I'm done. How do we love members who are different? Remember our calling, brothers and sisters. Christians know that the price of our reconciliation, Christ's death on the cross on our behalf is so valuable. It's not something that we hold on to lightly. Therefore, let's be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace because unity is God's goal for the local church. Diversity is God's gift to the local church. You are a gift. You're a gift to me at least. But even more than that, you are a gift that God has given to this church body. Serve faithfully. Serve humbly. Serve sacrificially. And the means to do it, to mature this congregation, discipleship. That is God's plan for church growth. Let's pray.